0: All well, I, I just want to say for the record, to all our listeners, to all my uh, listeners, to anyone who's uh, curious about this podcast, that I don't believe, just like as a statement, sort of like a meta statement, um, artistic statement, I don't believe podcasting is art. art, 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 art. I I saw like the perfume nationalist really stridently defending um, podcasting as high art. And I, it made me physically actually cringe um, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I, and, I can do that. You know, I've listened to some podcasts and I don't so much anymore, but it's just like, I was just like having a moment today where it's been like, I don't know, probably like a year since I did a podcast. And I was like, like what's the point of doing this like like does does anyone really need to like hear what i'm saying but then i came back to like what we were talking about about the importance of like a raw diaristic thing even if you don't feel like you have a ton of energy for a really like particular polemic or like point to make and how to to document that with chronic illness i mean honestly like it's probably not what most of the people who listen to this podcast are familiar with but like a great example of that is some of the footage in Unrest by Jen Brea oh yeah uh, yeah. which you you've probably seen right I Um, have yeah and actually just out of curiosity how like how do you become familiar with that because uh, just like we'll get into this later but you have Long COVID, and while there's like overlap between that and the ME/CFS community, that was a like somewhat recent thing. So I'm curious how you like became introduced to that documentary.
1: Yeah, I mean that that was the thing for me where for for so long I um I was just very convinced that I was developing you know ME/CFS because which could still be the case. I I, I don't know. I think that many 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 people who have more severe long COVID like, like I have had very much are in the ME CFS camp and denying that is honestly cope as far as I'm concerned at this point. But as I, as I became more kind of aware of, of that whole world, I, um, in my various investigations, I came across Jen Brea pretty quickly because she's one of the biggest voices in that whole world of course is as you know better than i do you know by far yeah so that, that was like totally unavoidable because she was such like a loud voice so the second i started investigating i discovered her and uh that movie and everything in that way you know i mean i, I think that, that's a pretty necessary document into the world of this kind of chronic illness in in that way which i'm, I'm glad exists
2: film sheds light on a condition that is largely ignored. The film in question is Unrest, a documentary directed by and featuring Jennifer Bree, a former Harvard PhD student who, after developing the disease ME, started filming her experience. For the first time, a major documentary is speaking back to decades of misinformation. Unrest follows Bree when she first becomes sick after a 40 degree Celsius fever. For the next year, she suffers repeated infections, and her health declines dramatically. But doctors do not take her seriously, a state of play recognized by many young women who are dismissed by the medical system. When she finally sees a neurologist, he diagnoses conversion disorder, hysteria. There must be a trauma that she can't even remember. There is nothing physically wrong with her that could be causing her symptoms. And so, Bree decides to walk the two miles home. What could be the harm after all? When she arrives back her brain and spinal cord feel like they're on fire she's bedbound for the next two years and now several years later uses a wheelchair after eventually being diagnosed with me brie was able to access some treatments in her native us there are currently no cures like most patients an initial flu-like illness triggered the disease her symptoms include profound exhaustion utterly unlike everyday tiredness extreme pain and a worsening of symptoms after even minimal exertion, a symptom known as post-exertional malaise or PEM. Yeah,
0: and it, I would say it's probably like one of the few things that's like broken into like a larger cultural consciousness at all. It's not like a super famous film, but. I mean you could even go on like fucking like uh google trends or whatever like MECFS or whatever and see where in 2017 it came out it's like the only thing that's actually and and it, you know it was like a sundance film that i think a lot of people kind of i would say like medium budget high budget for like compared to other MECFS films and small documentaries but totally. um so I guess like that's that's why I was thinking about this is like sometimes I have a really specific thing I wanna address and I do like a lot of research and prep. But in this podcast I kind of want to just go go a little bit more like diaristic and I mean on both of our parts, not just me rambling, but I mean because it's been a really long time since I did one and and since while well, I like to entertain, like the reason we started this podcast is sort of for that purpose to get like to break through like my thought was maybe quality over quantity don't preach to the choir I mean as self-righteous as it might seem it's a really important thing to just like portray these on un- like under studied chronic illnesses. well for context I'll go into like what those are maybe cause we're starting like in media threads in the beginning, but um, portray them in detail and portray them to like an audience that isn't familiar with them. I want to kind of do almost the opposite of preaching to the choir. Not, I mean like not preaching to explicitly hostile people, but like uh, preaching to people that aren't already necessarily familiar, aren't already the woke on this stuff. And Sure. For lack of a better term, maybe to like red pill people about some stuff. Also not just to necessary? appeal Yeah. Not just to appeal to empathy. And this is the other thing I wanna maybe bring up, especially with your experience with long COVID and but to appeal to enlightened self interest. Why should I care, you know, if I'm a healthy person about this and there's some actually good answers for that, you know
1: um there totally are and it's also that's a thing where, like just to interject on this level is that most people who have no awareness of this kind of realm of human experience i mean i don't want to say most but many of them especially people who might be in the kind of cultural spheres that you and i m- might both occupy a lot of them think first of all this is fake it's psychosomatic quote-unquote this is an unreal condition people are insane and making these things up right yeah yeah no i a mean a problem i mean that's a huge problem
0: i mean i see like a few things one is just for people to be very unfamiliar with it which is kind of normal i mean like i think that's not so much the sheer like lack of numbers because as we could get into there's really growing this is not a rare disease either of no. the illnesses we have or if they're the same thing that category but like the people that get this type of sick drop out of like they, they aren't even always seen by doctors let alone society like it's like a type of like total social death often it, it, a lot of them are like too tired to even like talk i mean this takes a lot out of me it, i i literally like have to take like extra meds of various kinds to like handle it without crashing but i still do it because I, I i actually think it's a important sacrifice because like i don't know you can like tweet a little about this stuff but i really just like want an earnest in-depth discussion i've written articles and stuff but i don't know people seem to have podcast fever they seem to i don't know maybe crave human connection so much that even just like hearing some dudes talk chatting about uh like chronic illness casually that maybe that could maybe people are uh even interested in that like i mean i think on their the- commute or something like do you yeah. think people are gonna listen to this while driving to work at their shitty job or
1: quite quite possibly. I mean, that's the thing where um I think there's just something to be said for that that element of like real human contact and communion. First of all, the human voice, the auditory experience of listening to someone speak has another there's another degree of intimacy and meaning, you know, bestowed upon that kind of like transmission in that way necessarily so. And it has a certain kind of power when there's real, real speech has, has a real resonance and it, 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 means something. And I think that they, that's different than again, like, you know, so many people's podcasts, whatever it's like, it's really, it's essentially just fodder. And you're talking before about how podcasting is an art. And for the most part, I would agree. There is like maybe two or three podcasts, which I would consider to rising to the occasion of being legitimately considered art under like any kind of real measure that, that 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 would be legit yeah for the most part it's like it's it's been all or you know something to to kill the time but you know human i mean human conversation can be so necessary vital and at its greatest heights it can be sublime right so there, there's like you know th- that that's like i i know there are things i've listened to which maybe not as much podcasts. either there are things that i've listened to of you know lectures etc whatever which i feel like have been have been life-changing for me or whatever so it's important to tap into the the potential
0: of yeah, the,
1: you know what I mean.
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, I I I've uh, I like audiobooks a little bit. They can be a, a little bit dense. Those so when I want something lighter, like I try and find podcasts. It's it's tough for me because I I really like went through a phase of certain podcasts like earlier in my illness, especially when I had like less sound sensitivity and less intense fatigue and overdid it. But now I like. I, I just try and find stuff that fits, like, a really niche, like, taste because I like the idea of a podcast or, like, radio, but uh, it's hard to find. I don't know. I remember um my friend used to just, like, have, like, a, a radio in his, his room at Hampshire and would, like, listen to, to this one, like, tune into this one station from, like, Holyoke that was, like, uh, some host called, like, the Love Doctor or something, like, at night that would, like... Have like really good commentary and stuff, but yeah, I, yeah, and and I listen to. I think the big one recently is like the War Nerd. Um, oh because yeah. Because there's nothing more kind of autistically comforting than when you're like sick and in pain than just like listening to the details of like war. Yeah. Just sure. like historical wars. Yeah.
1: Well, you're you're tapping into. I mean, you're in. That that's a thing where like. I think it's so hard for people who haven't gone through existentially. This is an alien experience to them where they have no conception of what that would be like to be that sick as, as you are. And I would say I, I was to a lesser degree before and uh, I'm still fucked up unfortunately, but I'm um, not to the degree of being like absolutely incapacitated or whatever. But that's the thing where people don't have, um, I mean, war as a corollary or whatever. It's like, people don't understand, unless you are like you know you've gone through really extensive chemotherapy or you're like a late stage parkinson's person or any of these kinds of like um that level of of experiential hell in terms of illness and suffering people don't understand what that would actually entail because it's like there's no reason that one would have any conception of what that would be if you haven't experienced yeah. it right? Okay? like why the yeah. fuck would you have even thought about that but that's the thing where like you you know i, I don't know what you would say in terms of your experience on this level but for me it's it's that thing where like you are really in such an extreme place every day where like you don't in in your normal life quote unquote in terms of like you are fortunate enough to be healthy living normally etc you there are many moods that you undergo right like you feel happy you feel you know you you can feel kind of you can feel kind of tranquil a lot of the time but when you're really really sick you're in a a state it's the human experience in extremis, right like you're in a very very extreme state maybe you feel more numb now i don't know i'd I'd be curious
0: about that because it's been so long for you Numb emotionally yeah well it's it's yeah that brings to mind like some Nietzsche quote but also like i'm so brain fogged that i like cannot like remember even things even like, you know, aphorisms from like stuff that I read a ton, but there was something might've been from his autobiography, like Homo." Is that how you pronounce it? Um, anyway, uh, where he was talking about like, like every, every sound and experience strikes one as a festering wound or something. I don't know. I like the, it was almost about like sensory intrusiveness, but also just experience in general, Like experience is that uh, otherwise would be not just pleasant but actively um, beneficial suddenly being uh, like too much and just the details of it I mean to me like Nietzsche is one of the best like writers on illness we could just totally like uh, cut that off from any debate about like maybe Nietzsche and ethics not like as an arch reactionary nietzsche as like um either uh, like pro like evil neoliberal hegemony or uh, sure, or, sure. or or like the fascist nietzsche we could take all of that apart and just to me the un- underfocused Nietzsche's nietzsche is like his writings about illness not just in uh, like i mean it's and there's another quote about they always get it like the details of it wrong but about his approach to like extreme illness and not being reactive it almost sounded like pacing which is a thing in me cfs um you know myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome um, and similar diseases that involve like actual Metabolic constraints on exercise, e.g., not just I—I I feel tired after exercise, which is normal, but like where it's actually yourself. harmful, right? right.
1: Which I, people need to understand that you are gravely harming yourself by yeah overexertion. I mean, you're talking about, about metabolic dysfunction, right? And it's like that—that's yeah. like it's important to to, to you know to say. yeah yeah
0: you have this yeah, and I guess sometimes I don't think about like for listeners like. Uh, it's been so long since I did the uh, podcast I don't think about like who my listener base is if they yeah, have yeah. these illnesses if they're outsiders too. but um, Nietzsche had some quote from Akahoma like I was saying about like something about like in to avoid um, like burning yourself out with like resentment to and anger and reactive energy or impulses when very sick like and overstimulated the only thing to do is uh, to to act like the russian soldier um in his fatalism who would just lie uh, like down in the snow face down and not move or something (laughs) yeah yeah. it kind of reminded me a bit of like and again like this is something where maybe i'll have people read these passages and source quotes because my memory is not what it used to be and they're much better quotes than i make them sound but he was basically it struck me describing something in um yoga and i mean like actual yoga not necessarily like some new age thing but it's definitely a uh, yogic, actual yogic practice um called Pratyahara I think um, which is like withdrawal of the senses Mm. like cutting almost like a a form of self-induced sensory deprivation and like retreating into your like shell sort of to conserve energy and it's like yeah I I think that's really important. I don't do it nearly enough, though, but I, I forget how we got on Nietzsche. I'm always rambling, but I did want to circle back just to like for context on the podcast and say like a couple things about I, for one, I think that either this will be a separate podcast in a series and we'll have your like edited one about the intro to your illness because i want to cover a lot of additional stuff which but we can do a truncated version where we each introduce ourselves totally. and like sure. our illness and but also like how like i don't know let's start from like how we even uh got in touch and believe you messaged me yeah, either yeah. After can, I, can hearing, I tell that story
1: because I, I think it's sure. actually kind of interesting yeah. So basically, you know, we were talking before about um, Jen Brea and the movie Unrest and she's like one of the most famous, you know, if I don't know, I mean, I would say she's probably the most famous MECFS American like patient advocate other than Whitney Defoe. Right. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. She's, she's got to be right. So um, when I was getting into that whole world, I was watching, uh all of this MECFS content i don't know how exactly but um well all i mean i, sh- I should say or, or preface you know this whole thing with uh you and i both went to hampshire college uh, a liberal arts school in yeah. western massachusetts but, but we didn't actually know each other there so yeah th- th- that's one thing we lived in the same place and went to the same college i came across your youtube videos that you have a, a youtube account and uh, you made what I thought were extremely powerful videos attesting to the reality of your situation and your condition. And I was looking uh, through them and um, I saw your, your website there. And I, don't, I don't know if it was on your website or what exactly, but uh, I saw something about about that you had gone to Hampshire College. And I was like, wow, this is really... And that you were a musician as well, which I, I'm also a musician. And so I was like, wow, this is, this is truly uncanny because uh, I hadn't really come... I hadn't really come across too many people who were kind of um, seem to be of a similar kind or that, that were like from a similar background, age, cultural sensibility, uh, perhaps even worldview in various ways that we're dealing with the kind of things that you and I have both been dealing with. And um, so that, that could be maybe even another line of conversation or for another time, whatever. But it's like, it's tough when you feel like you can't really relate to a lot of the kind of people who you might be able to potentially commune with over this experience you're having. Uh, You know, that, that's like a, I think that's a big thing. Also, I mean, most of, you know, it's more women than, than men. And also the language of chronic illness is very, very medicalized, psychologized, bureaucratic, like it's kind of like a nightmare of a bunch of the, the things about American 21st century, you know, liberal, like society that are the most, you know, difficult or unpleasant to contend with in this space, which like, I don't know. Any, anyway, th- th- that's a whole other thing. But, um, I reached out to you, I think later on, I, I reached out to you when I was beginning to get better and I was getting, I started getting a lot better. I got COVID again recently, which knocked me back. I'm hoping that I'll begin to get better again. Who knows? I, uh, I reached out to you cause I was like, I have to speak to this person, and try to connect because this is like a, I feel like there's, there's definitely conversations and a connection that, that needs to to happen here. And, uh, you know, cause we're, we're similar ages, right. Like, and uh, you know, similar people in, in um, this way, which I didn't come across anyone else who was like that really.
0: Right. Yeah, no. And I was going to say like, um, just, um, I felt a little bit similar when I like um, first got sick. It's like a, it's like something that, in terms of like the the community, it's not that, um, you know, necessarily like ageist or anything, but it's like you start you you find online forums and they're helpful in a practical way, but they're like you don't often relate to most of the people besides you know necessarily having the same illness. You know, totally, yeah. you know, what, music what, what tapes are like, and, and that could seem silly, but it's like, you, like w- when you're having a really horrible experience, you also want to be able to like, not, you want to be able to have people you relate to, you know, not just because they're sick, but for other reasons too, you don't. Psychologically, I mean, spiritually. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're making it some, um, like, yeah. I mean, that makes sense also that i would have to say maybe i was like a bit of like a petty like um uh kind of like a aesthetics obsessed uh, person in some ways where i was like you know i still wanted to illness destroys your identity or i shouldn't say that as a general thing because there are so many types of illness like you could have a a cold or you could have a re a, a remitting illness but chronic illness like that's very bad generally destroys your identity and so i mean definitely when you first get sick especially if it's a gradual thing or even if it's not because you still cling to some kinds of like um denial that this will become like your life you're it could be off-putting to find people who you know, are a bunch of people who are sick on these forms and they, you have nothing in common with them in terms of, like, your aesthetics. Um, you also think, in my case, I thought, like, sometimes, well, I'm just, like, temporarily sick and uh, I'm not, like, as I'm not sick one as of you. those people. Yeah, I'm not one of you. I'm not going to become like you. Like, it's like um, staring into an abyss when you see people who have been, like, Um, through no fault of their own, Um, like posting about their chronic illness and not much else, not like the art they are doing or whatever, like for so long. And the irony is like, in, in many ways, I did become like them. So when I say that, it's not like, it's, it's thinking about the kind of hubris of my past self. That's definitely, you know, I mean, I, you know, I don't think it's really proportional, but if, if there was like some kind of punishment for hubris, I've certainly gotten cut down more than to size. But that's part of like what it's, you know, like what you're saying is, but then the other part of it is besides finding people who who have like a similar, similar things in common besides being, chronically ill in the same way that it started to become like an observation to me and I'm not an epidemiologist. Although I do want to mention, and this is something where I might have to edit and go back for the additional numbers. I found some interesting things about MECFS clusters and geography, but I just found, started to find it interesting when I would meet people online usually because where it may maybe a little bit more atomized than I don't know 60 years ago in some ways in a lot of places especially like in rural and suburban places uh, when you meet people who uh like were you know geographically close to you or shared like things like institutions or places or towns in common and then and even the same age. And then you didn't know at the time, but like they also got sick at the same time or around the same time. Um, It's wild just because people assume that these illnesses are rare and first of all, we don't really like, I don't think of good epidemiology on them, but if anything, we underestimate. And even with the underestimation, they're still not rare. They're just quiet. You know, like I don't think so highly of myself that, um, you know, it's like when I drop out of Hampshire due to illness or whatever, that people like have some kind of object permanence are like going to be like, you know, where, you know, where that person go? And it's true for most people that are sick. You know, you can have specific good friends that remember, but there is always a kind of social death. How can you not be,
1: right? I mean, you, you be, you're you going to become unpersoned, right? I mean, that's the thing where I don't know if, if you want to speak about that or whatever, but I really think that because you, you've been, you've been, you've been sick for a long time now. And it's like, that's the thing where almost everyone is going to fall away from you in that way. Right. Like it's, I think it's a rare thing where someone will really go the distance with you. I, I think that I have uh, like a few friends who are, are like that, where if I was really, really sick 10 years from now, they would still be there for me. But even then you're in a place where like, they cannot understand where you're at
0: mentally. Yeah. They can't, they, I mean, they can't, they can't access that. Cause like it's, I have, you know, a lot of anger in general, and I compartmentalize it. I think, like, maybe you alluded to a question about that, like, if I'm numb to a lot of like the horrors, or and to a certain extent, yeah. um, I like have to be almost a function, right? Yeah, and and because it's because I am maybe too aware of like the fact that. You know, everyone is also sick or not or, or sick with this or not having their own difficulties. And so I like, I mean, so in terms of like social death, I've had at least a few like good friends and like support from family. I mean, I can zoom in on that a little bit, but um, that have made this... Not as terrible as it could have been, but there is this like thing where definitely first of all, it's like I mean I am really like blessed to have some of the friends I have like like for example my co-host I mean I don't want to like we go off on that just because like it's it's probably embarrassing to hear someone like shower praise on you just as a person or friend, but like just for being. Yeah, uh, understanding doing this project with me for like being willing to like research MECFS and like do no, stuff. The, like, that's real though. Like, yeah, read like so author's web. Yeah. And but for so I have like a few friends uh, close enough that I you know that I love that I that are are really real. So, some other ones not gonna like do specific shout outs, but um on the other hand Especially if I think like, you know, um, artists notice this especially, but everyone notices this, but artists maybe because we're sort of like people obsessed with like performance and being seen. And no, I mean, honestly, I'll step back on that because maybe artists notice the extra, but everyone will notice this. And you hear it a lot, so refrain MECFS communities and similar diseases you just straight up like kind of feel like you dropped off the face of the earth and people barely notice it you you feel like you're like in some kind of hibernation or stasis but one that other people aren't exactly going through with you maybe besides caregivers and close family and even then it's like something that they they experience a lot of that seeing your life on hold and stuff but they don't necessarily experience the interior part of it so the social death can be really extreme I mean like like I it's it's tricky to talk about because I don't you know I want to be vague because like I do have those those friends that were there for me and I'm not um you know, naming them would be kind of, like, corny. I'm sure they wouldn't want that shout-out, like, by name or whatever, like, going through a list. But then I also do want to talk about some of the negative stuff. I, I don't really want to, like, uh, make people think that I'm talking about them unless I really am. And But I will say that there was, like, there was a lot of, like, instances of kind of falling out with people either in a, like, way more subtle passive way like that's more the norm like I didn't have many people that were like you know like kind of like yeah like your illness is fake fuck you like more like just like oh yeah like I mean if you're if you're in a tenuous or not a like really deep relationship with someone how how many times in a row are they gonna like be like? So, what are you up to? And it's like, well, lying in bed and um, going to some doctor's appointments, trying experimental treatments, mostly lying in bed. Uh, how about you? You know, um, this that doesn't it, work. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe it could, but it, it, it's, it's definitely tricky. And I, I, yeah, and I will say, like, when I feel very angry or just sad in general. I have a kind of phrase that's like a mantra. Sometimes I put it in my writing or whatever, but like of just talk, thinking about envy of the living, because like I say a lot, I think the obsession with just talking about mortality and illness and stuff like that obscures that when you look at quality of life for a lot of these illnesses it's like a living death it's not really living it's not what i think of as like vitality as life
1: totally yeah i mean i would just call it non-death right it's not not a real life whatsoever yeah
0: yeah and it's it's kind of like a shadow of it i mean one could think of it as a type of purgatory one could think of it as a type of hell but it, it's it's certainly not like what any of us really wanted out of life. And yeah. So I, I mean, I feel like robbed and, and I will say that's not, that's not because I felt entitled to like a a perfect life, but there's these levels there's, you just really like, I mean, like Stalin said, quantity is a type of quality unto itself. Yeah, I think. And so quantities, intensities. Yeah, it's really like pat and easy to say life is unfair, you know, like, and we don't always get what we want. But there is there is a huge difference between like, not, um, you know, having like, you know, not being like a famous musician or like, um, whatever, not having like an Instagram model life or not being like wealthy and Suffering horribly, uh, or, physically, mentally, every day. Yes, yeah, suffering horribly, physically, and mentally every day, but also being living robbed. in a yeah, in an uncertainty and and being robbed of time. I've become very obsessed with time. Whenever I do like read like poetry or the, like uh, uh esoteric religious texts, like um, the idea of like turning um back time the idea of freezing it um Mm. um if it's even possible i mean i often think like at this point i've been sick like six years sometimes i inadvertently undercount it when i report it because i don't want to think it's been longer i say like like five years or four like but yeah i think it's six um I've been sick since summer of 2016 so um and most of it or not all of it um this ill not all of it bedbound but um yeah so like social death in this case is like also when I'm talking about a lot of the negatives of this like I have it pretty rough in a lot of ways but like honestly like in in the social death sense, I have it better than a lot of people and my illness is I'm under no illusions that I'm lucky because of like my actual level of illness and like physical level is like worse than a lot of people even within this community. but in terms of social support, like you know this used to be called by like the first the first couple of sympathetic phys- physicians in lake tahoe and the like first cfs epidemic it used to be called the divorce disease i mean just like people would not stay so. with their spouses And the thing about that is like, I mean, think about like a marriage and un- sickness into your health compared to like um compared to like more tenuous relationships. I mean, of course those more tenuous relationships are, are absolutely gonna you're gonna lose them. Some people really might have their spots to stick with them. i I bet there's studies on this, like sociological studies. It's and then like a lot of people lose family a lot of people's family and spouses like the people they're most intimate with do not believe them and they don't just not believe them at first which i think all of us probably experienced at least a little bit of skepticism at first definitely they but they they just never are convinced That's, that's a different level of it so so when i talk about a lot of like the bad experiences it's not I, I mean i'll give myself credit like that like i have a pretty awful level of illness but when i talk about some of like the social support i'm aware of like having it um a lot better than a lot of people and yet it's still pretty pretty painful um um, but I mean, it's just like, there's like a kind of entropic, like social phenomenon. I think like, especially post-college, especially like in, um, this, whatever the stage of capitalism is just a- anyway, uh, where people who are even close friends just drift apart, do like often do the things like, like that are contingencies or job opportunities or things like that, not Necessarily because they want to, but uh, definitely like you combine this with you know being sick and not having um and 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 stuff like that, and it's very much accelerates like falling out of touch with people or or, or not having as much reciprocal relationships. I it puts strain on friendships. It it puts strain on. I mean. It, I, yeah, I get. I guess it starts with like the idea of like people going, well, you know, you know, what are you up to? And you talk about the illness, and it's like, well, what is that? And you kind of explain it, and some of them understand, some of them uh, don't. I, you know, I found out um, very specific thing that like angered me through a friend of a friend um no yeah i found out from a a friend of a friend i you know i have eyes everywhere social stasi um unofficial kind of yeah absolutely necessary yeah but i mean like <laughs> no i mean i wouldn't uh i wouldn't i wouldn't uh fucking, Actually, like, uh spy on friends, but um, but someone just told me because they thought I should know because I considered someone to be a friend, um, at least a casual friend, and that they this person was just like, um, talking a lot of shit about my illness being fake and being like, like you know, like how is this person still sick from like Lyme? Which I mean, by the way, and I. I don't talk about having um, "quote unquote" chronic Lyme, which is a controversial diagnosis. But whether yeah. or not I did post-treatment Lyme symptoms and any infection triggering ME/CFS is is at least at this point like a a recognized like physical disease by a lot of by most like research scientists i would say and like the vanguard um,
1: of supposedly allopathic whatever the fuck you want to call it
0: medicine agree it's not just like alternative doctors yeah it's like at this point the cdc and and we'll go and this is i mean maybe a little too little too late but my point is just that this is not yeah this is like validated by science in a lot of ways but this yeah anyway so that's one example you know i just like found out that someone was like kind of talking about this like uh be talking shit about me behind my back and you know friends i had heard it's it so from, brutal i had heard it from a partner and just like you know said this will probably upset you but i just think you should know which it's probably true i like i, I got very angry um uh but did you say anything to them or, or you just not talk to them <laughs> i um didn't talk to them for like uh, i mean this is just like i wasn't in touch that much anyway but i didn't or I, I was on and off social media i didn't talk to the the person in question who had talked shit for like a year or two after that. And then at one point when I was like in a lot of pain, having gotten even worse, I was just like really angry about that and stewing on it. And I just like sent a message and then blocked, sent a message about why I was blocking and sent a message saying like, you know, I know you don't, I I mostly at that, I mostly didn't immediately say something because I didn't want to implicate my source you know totally um I wanted to be discreet but it'd been long enough that I figured they'd probably talk shit about me lots of people yeah yeah so um I'm happy to have a like somewhat of a friend surveillance network so there's like that instance and that's not honestly like that's not even like again that extreme for what most people experience but that's like the thing is, like, it's it, it, what bugged me about it was just like, um, that they wouldn't say it to my face, you know? They Which were, they people been won't. friendly. Yeah. Yeah. People, people, I, people won't. It's like a bit painful and it takes some extra, like, energy to, like, debate or explain. But, like, I'd much rather people be like, I don't really get this. Like, are you, you know, are you, like, You know, uh, break it down. Especially if it's a close friend. You know, maybe if it's someone I barely know. Yeah, I don't want to like have to explain like my illness to like every single fucking person. But if especially if it's like a, a marginally close friend, and especially if they're more willing to like spread uncertainty or like bullshit to other people which is also the context is I think they were, they were talking shit about me to like a group of people who were, you know, not necessarily, you know, aware maybe. Yeah. So like it, they were kind of maybe, I don't know, turning people against, but yeah, that's, that's like one thing. I mean, like Hampshire so weird and clicky. Every liberal arts college probably is. So it's like, that's, that happened. Very, very clicky yeah I mean it is small and it's incestuous and I think I have theories about like the the kind of like um like uh mold smog agriculture air like in the general kind of poisoning people into some level of depression and anxiety but but yeah like the interesting but also
1: there's a certain type of personality too which is that that type of school right which is a major factor certainly um I mean I, I, I fucking love Hampshire, but like, you know, it, there, there's, there's, there are many critiques to be leveled here of the institution and all kinds of people there and, and whatever. It's all love as far as I'm concerned. I don't know about you ultimately, but it's like, uh, yeah, you
0: know, I mean. I miss a lot different. of the people. I don't miss like necessarily the literal settings. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, no, no, it's love. It's all love and all hate. Um, it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's how it is. And and also i like the broader like kind of western mess like music scene house shows like i I do have a ton of nostalgia for that you know i mean like just like just getting like drunk in someone's like farmhouse basement or whatever um listening to like um harsh noise or like math rock or whatever um it's fucking beautiful yeah yeah i
1: mean yeah. yeah i mean that was also the last time that you were able to function as you previously had you were i don't know well whatever you want to say
2: right yeah. i
1: mean so that, that that's like that's going to be such a charged space yeah. of memory and reflection
0: for for you yeah I, I would think yeah i mean when you come to West, like a lot of all you have is memory something but um yeah like i I feel like i'm rambling a bit or stretching this out but i'm trying to explain like like what the social death feels like i will say like a lot of people would rather be non-confrontational than like you know debate or talk so like you'll just have a lot of people that are like instead of being as friendly as they once were just like don't know how to talk to you or don't want to and like you know i don't know how much to blame myself for that or like how much clearer I should be about stuff. But it's like, uh, that's a, that's a weird thing to get. Like, I wouldn't even call it cold shouldering, but just people just kind of like pulling away. And then like, like you said, like, especially if it's like people who I actually consider like friends, like I'd rather, you know, hear their questions, good faith questions. Then, then there are some people who, Actually, I will say, and this is interesting, I have some people that now I consider friends and that are good friends that, like, didn't initially get it, like, re- really didn't get it. One of, you know, I I have one friend who actually kind of, like, you know, suggested I try DMT because of, like, the maybe psychedelic self-trauma that's, like, uh, like causing the illness. Yeah, yeah. Um, which um you know i don't know i like am not anti-psychedelic at all um you can find very few people from hampshire who are it's probably like the psychedelics capital of like liberal arts colleges or colleges just in terms of like the amount of like fairly affordable like pure lsd and that's generally not research chemicals like Totally. On on another note, um, but so I'm not against that, but no, it's like I'm pretty sure it's not a a good treatment for like most serious physical diseases, and in fact, sometimes could like magnify shit because being sick is like very um, dissociative, very like very much already kind of an extended bad trip.
1: it's like a hallucinatory hell realm that you're that you're in that you're immersed in yeah. and you cannot escape from
0: yeah would you would you say like you've ever um like actually questioned your literal reality since being sick because of it like yeah
1: i mean i i feel like i was going through periods of um of intense uh, mania too where for me i um i when I, I i when i got sick i like uh for for me you know i kind of had a whole holistic body breakdown just as as you did as well kind of like metabolic dysfunction autoimmune whatever is going on it's a combination of all of these you know all, all of these all well, the the system of the body holistically but all of these um bodily systems kind of malfunctioning essentially but for me i was having um such extreme neurological problems and I was having a uh, really bad inflammation in my, in my brain. And I had a bunch of brain scans and all this kind of stuff. I actually had got an aneurysm from having probably from, 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 from brain swelling. But, um, so I was having all this, all this brain testing and stuff, but, um, I, uh, at, at the height of me having those kinds of, um, uh, really, really serious neurological problems, i uh was in a state where like um it was really hard for me to to uncouple what was a physiological i mean again this gets into complicated territory because like what's psychosomatic what's psyche what's soma what's what's mental what's physical yeah. right so things are all integrated systems again right. but, um, and the brain I, is an organ so you know if you have inflammation exactly. there you can cause
0: some crazy mood stuff
1: totally it, it, it's all it's all one it's all unity ultimately but um I, uh I couldn't I couldn't discern whether I was like uh is, is this like an emotional experience that I was having because i I was I felt like I was literally losing my mind like I was in a state of um absolute mania where I was like um I was it it, it felt like the worst trip that I, I would honestly describe this as uh I mean I, you know we can get into this again as well but th- I think of this whole experience of being so profoundly ill as a kind of baptism but i um uh i a baptism by fire perhaps but i um i uh this is like one of the most intense religious experiences i i was um you know ever that i've ever ever undergone in my life because it was like um talking about the human experience in extremis it was like uh i felt like i was um you know i felt like i was literally descending into into hell and i was i was like reaching out for 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 god to try to save me with like you know pleading and intercessory prayer and whatever and i was like uh i was losing my my fucking mind quite literally and i was also so just physically fucked up in every way where i it was it's hard to discern what's even going on with you but um i had i it was uh last summer um that i uh i um was really in a place where i was like i i I was losing contact with um with reality and it was it was so hard to understand what exactly was even happening to me and then that way because you're so you're so debilitated and exhausted and you have um you're cognitively so impaired too. you're in this dense fog all the time you're having real serious like neurological inflammation and um and kind of, you know, neuro, autoimmune, whatever going on in that way, uh, it's really hard to even get a, a – you're al- you're already in a, in a dream, in a, in a nightmare state basically. And uh, so it is like a real bad trip situation. Um, but, yeah, to, to, you know, in a roundabout fashion to, to answer your question, I absolutely felt like I was um, losing my, uh, my mind. I would have moments of like, is this did I die? I was literally I was wondering if I had died. And this was a state of limbo that I was in because I, I would um I would I would, you know, go through periods of time where I was like not I was so, so tired but not able to sleep at all. And I I was literally completely discombobulated. Like I, I was like so out of sorts and did not have my wits about me whatsoever. And yeah, I was, I was wondering maybe that ha- has happened to you. I think we've spoke about that to some degree, but uh, various times of the worst of this whole experience. I, I I've thought before that I, I may already be dead. in a very, very serious way. That wasn't like a thought experiment. Yeah, you mean
0: literally, yeah. Quite literally, yeah. It's yeah. not
1: metaphorical yeah. at all.
0: I haven't talked about a lot of this like previously on, on podcasts for a, a few reasons. One of them is that I want to like contextualize like a causality complex here and like like getting away from the idea of like uh, a lot of these serious physiological illnesses is hysteria but uh, like we were talking about earlier like I think um, like messaging about earlier like you know being you know physically ill doesn't make you less prone to like mental illness, mental distress grief crises of faith all of the above you know it probably if makes anything, you more if you have no ground to stand on right yeah yeah and the problem to me is only just when people get the causality mixed up like and 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 assume that you know this is hysteria because people are erratic or because they're expressing like psychic pain which like who who could go through like severe illness but also like the diagnostic uncertainty that comes with some of these and not kind of go insane but yeah I've had some points where I literally I mean when I initially got sick it was because of a Lyme infection and there was a specific like acute illness phase and um it was like sudden gradual meaning that you know sudden in that I um never got better after that day. Like I never got fully back full health after that day that I had the infection, but it started, but also gradual in that it wasn't like bed bound overnight. So sudden and gradual. So I have these moments where I think that I kind of like branched off in time to a different reality or something like just on that day because everything before that, like you know i had some issues but they were pretty normal issues like i guess you know um things that i feel like are like almost like nothing compared to this like i don't know like that i'd kill to have those kinds of problems again like angst um you know a broken heart at one point like um like stress about school some like anxiety some those are luxury problems now. depression yeah yeah and but so I've like have the thing of whether it's religious terms or just derealization of thinking yeah I, I literally like might be in hell right now because I don't necessarily think that you know if you think about it like and and you're trying to like metaphysically torture someone or spiritually torture someone it doesn't have to be, they don't have to be sure that they're in hell. They don't have to be in, like, you know, a hot place with flames. It could just be, like, a a derealizing torture chamber that gradually, like, that gradually um, just gives someone a a physical and, you know, cognitive decline, along with, like, a lot of uncertainty and... And maybe at, at specific points gets their hopes up a little bit and then let, uh, lets them down just like just enough to you know like whatever like the CIA black site where they like untie the prisoner and like you know say you're free to go and like it's a like long labyrinth and like they run out with their like shackles still on and like like uh, run around and around until like they find the like one exit and then like the person like that is waiting for them just like at that exit i saw i saw that one in like in like um i think it was like deutschland 89 it was just like funny. I, I'm just like gonna mention mention a like media stuff, and, and just to like sort of like lighten or like uh, you know. At a little tonal Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, but which, but which like could um, be good. A show basically about like, well, it's like Deutschland '83, Deutschland '86, Deutschland '89, German show about like a a. Uh, got a kind of dark comedy or, or 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 comedic drama about like a guy working for the stasi and the joke or irony there is just like like that in this one part of cia guy stationed in west berlin and uh stasi guy are like talking about this CIA black site thing and the you guys like horrified at how cool it is. (laughs) Yeah. You know, even though they were of course infamous, like, so yeah, I've like literally thought, and I'm not, I, I've always, I think I've always been either atheistic or agnostic and you like, you know, but in the past, like 10 years, probably it's a lot more of the latter than Atheistic with like some kind of mystical experiences that were vague, but definitely not like a church-going person with a really like strong knowledge of like theology and the afterlife. But I've just like start like it's definitely like a extended dark night of the soul kind of thing. I and So yeah, I've, I've had that literal experience of thinking, yeah, like maybe I'm in hell and the people around me, however nice they are, whatever, just like kind of captors or whatever are part of it. Like hard. I think the reason I haven't talked about that as much is because it's like until you're like chronically ill with something like this for a long period of time, you kind of don't understand how much it can fucking break your brain and like don't want to like sound like a hysteric, but yeah, I mean that, which is why I want to like contextualize it a little bit and zoom it out. 'Cause Cause that might sound like insane to someone who isn't familiar with this, but it's like, I mean, this is not actually, you know, I do have a therapist, although like, yeah, I don't do it as regularly as I should, but the therapist doesn't think I am by the way, actually I've had a couple throughout the illness and, they don't think I'm, uh, no, you know, they don't think that this is a mental illness or hysteria. They, it's more for support of like the associated grief and, um, you know, derealization and depression that comes with it. Like the, I mean, totally. Yeah, I think you know I had to get actually like psychological clearance for, for surgery too. So like that was serious and that i think if they thought that if they thought that i was getting you were surgery for a holy second yeah that they would not yeah
1: i mean cause you, you've um, had multiple spinal fusion surgeries right
0: right for stuff associated with but not necessarily like a, a part of mcfs like further connective tissue damage that yeah yeah it's from comorbidities which i, I didn't really um get into but Uh, yeah we're kind of talking about like social death and then derealization and the social death thing kind of feels like so total that it's hard to like um get into details and examples but you just kind of I think fall out with a lot of people in very like you know subtle ways non-acrimonious and then sometimes in acrimonious ways and then You know, I mean, I've even like there's one person who I considered a close friend, who at least you know didn't talk behind my back, but just thought that it was um that the level of like, it talking about my illness was like self-centered, and it was kind of like. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe, but also, like, I don't really have anything else to talk about. Like, it's not like you, you start to lose kind of like hobbies or other parts of your identity.
1: Comes not to cut you off, but just to to add here, right? I mean, I I think we, I think we can we can agree, right, that it's like if you are in this place of this level of extremity of uh, a disease state, you become so so obsessional where you are fixated all day on how what's going on with you, researching how are you going to get out of this, what is on the horizon for new developments. For what, what are possible treatments you could do. And you're yeah. in this space, right? Where you're like, you you talk to your friend, you know, they get off work or whatever. And they're like, oh, hey, man, like, how are you? Whatever. And you're like, how am I? Let, let me fucking tell you. Like, you know, you're, here are like yeah. my laundry list of like, you know, things like I need to go to Europe and get, st- you know, some sort of stem cell thing, you know, whatever. And they're like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? You know what I mean? Which is like people who humor you, right but it's like it's that thing where you're less interested in the quotidian aspect of like they're like oh well you know this thing is going on with uh my girlfriend and there's this little intrigue at work and you're like you know you become so drawn into yourself you're like that's fucking nothing you know what i mean
0: yeah i mean i don't know that i've told someone that, that that's nothing <laughs> no like, no i, I Neither not yeah. but, but I, I've,
1: I've i've thought i think you and i are both Nice enough people, where um, and you know whatever.
0: We're not. I don't think either of us are that. I wouldn't consider myself nice, but maybe, maybe like not like I'm enough of an artist to say that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That distinction.
1: Well, niceness isn't even.
0: Isn't even. Yeah,
1: niceness is like uh, that's a surface level kind of. That niceness is just decorum,
0: right? Yeah i well i like like i'm not a nice person but i'm not saying that as a badge of honor necessarily like um i've known people who are nice i thought well i don't know niceness kindness i've known people who are like kind who had a like a lot of grace that especially like people who've helped me within the community um who i just think like they're incredibly kind but they're also like very polite and nice but yeah i mean it can be a surface thing yeah but i i mean i know what you're saying what you're saying is like in survival mode you focus on your own survival you by nature focus on your own illness you're
1: you're a wounded animal it makes you selfish it's hard for you to take on other people's burdens or even be a good friend or whatever right because you're so drawn down into the pit of your so stark just yeah more in reality right it's like you know
0: yeah and it, really, i mean like it's um and like you're saying like people research a lot like uh, some people don't do that some people try and like, pace and use their limited energy to like live a normal life and not necessarily research or n- not a normal life as normal of a life as they can not necessarily research a cure but like even with that it, sometimes like that's uh, you know, you still have such a limited life that you're fo- still focused on like, you know, palliation, palliative care, and like, um, pro- like protecting yourself from crashing too much. So it still ends up a lot at the same place, which is that as hard as you try it and exert yourself and empathize to 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 reciprocate, like, um, you're going to be kind of protective of your energy using your energy to keep yourself like kind of in a like kind of like survival mode way yeah i mean i will totally. say that i mean i don't that i like spent a ton of my time like researching the illness i stopped like playing music i but that that part of that was like i stopped having the energy to even play music at some point although like the but yeah like that's part of like the social death thing is like things where I can't even totally blame people but then I like I I, I am like really uh, kind of angry about how someone can have an illness where they become basically bed bed and they basically lose their entire life they lose like their ability to play music they lose like their like um like love life or romantic life they lose their a lot of their friendships and they lose, like, um, you lose go- everything, right? I mean, everything good. Yeah. Evaporates. Yeah. And they lose that. And then like, even if like individuals care, like I was saying, like I have like some good friends, like, it, it, there's something where there's like, like, I don't know. I, I have anger. And it's like, I want, I want something drastic to help happen. Like I can't go, I'm too sick to go like protest at the NIH, but I want like, I don't know, like I want something to happen. I want someone, whether it's collective or individual to do something like really drastic that can somehow like, save me. And that's hard because, you know, I, besides like some people at the NIH, which we could talk about, like, I don't, you know, it's hard to point at someone any individual I could blame for my illness I mean I don't know you you may be you know more focused on like grace and forgiveness than me I don't know but I I I mean I find the idea of like needing especially in the worst parts of my illness needing someone to blame to be like it's it's like needing to it's a way of like needing meaning out of it, needing catharsis to like find someone that you could find something, some force or some person to pin this on rather than see it like as like a bunch of like, just kind of chaos that just happened to you. Like you, do I blame God? Do I blame like the CDC, the NIH, like, um, this person that could have helped me more, but didn't, uh, like, and it's often, you know, you get angry and angrier and like more bitter. But, um, I mean, I think the rational answer is like, I don't know about blaming God because I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm agnostic, but I do understand why people become anti-theists. I do you want to say that for a second, like, you know, I, I really like was on the, like, I was like maybe an atheist as a kid, just almost by default, like believed in like oblivion and no God and no afterlife. Um, I don't know why exactly it wasn't because of like social conditioning or reading Christopher Hitchens. Cause I'm talking about like really young, but sure, um, sure. anyway, at some point I became a lot more into like mysticism and, religion but not like necessarily um committing to one and i also came to find like a a lot of like atheist discourse kind of cringe and shallow like shallow reasons for like the rejection of like supernatural or god but like I, i think that the like some of the you know i've come to like sort of have a lot of uh rapid cycle through different like um, crises of faith and meaning where you know going to different extremes at one point there was like in trying to ex- basically like you know like uh, the stages of grief but like how, how people apply them to like religious d- belief or assigning meaning in that way um, Sure. Yeah. where like at, at one point I was like you know um a bit like kind of like bargaining and being like well i wasn't even thinking necessarily god did this to me but on a more small scale thinking oh you know like maybe someone actually cursed me like maybe so like some of that occult shit is real and someone actually cursed me because this is when I was at first going to doctors and, like, with their basic tests. I want to, like, de- delineate that because, like, at this point, I, I've had a lot of more d- advanced tests and, like, um, different comorbid diagnoses where I, I'm not even really, like, worried that someone would um, think my illness is fake and I wouldn't question it myself. Or, but at that point, I didn't know what the fuck was going on. We're talking, like, a year into my illness after like kind of like barely getting through a year of college after being sick and like mostly n- normal blood work and just like doctors saying well you had Lyme and maybe you have inflammation lingering but you know um we like we can't find the explanation for what's wrong and not really like doing deeper investigations and so it's was going it, it was hard enough to handle that I was actually starting to think sh- shit like I don't know what if like this person that I had a falling out with literally cursed me I I mean in a literal sense and for the most part it was just kind of an entertaining idea I wasn't like um uh, like I wasn't like fully committed to the idea and I wouldn't say I was experiencing psychosis but you know I mean I think this kind of experience can bring out both, like, extreme forms of belief and magical thinking and the opposite, because then I kind of cycle through to the opposite of, like, um, you know, okay, like, you know, I understand a a little bit of the basic science of this, and there's a scientific reason for this disease, and so, and I believe, like, it's just kind of um a random like accident of nature and also but if there was a god I would be incredibly angry at this God for my uh, terrible plight as it is like I'm I guess like angry at my luck you know I, you know sure, at yeah. some point when and, and I understand why people could be like both anti-theists and atheists even though it's seen as like a contradictory p- position I mean like to, to to not really believe in god but also think that you almost wish there was a god to to have like some kind of organizing power to like blame like just some like force in the universe to blame and that you would totally be angry if you totally believed you would um and i think there's a lot of like currents of uh, atheism that have been, become cringe but i think that like i don't know in the kind of cultural reaction to the like really kind of fedora cringe uh, reddit atheism and new atheism stuff and the excesses of that a lot of which involved kind of like basic arguments that weren't new they were just becoming like more popularized We forget, forget, I think, in a lot of, like, the reaction to that stuff that there are some, like, earnest and, I think, basic, like, um, questions and responses to suffering which can cause someone very extreme doubt theologically. I I think that is
1: the most... That is the most serious ground of contention for belief in God or religious yeah. belief whatsoever. Is the question of you know theodicy and uh, the problem of evil is really and, entropy, entropy
0: and right. suffering. And if you and if you're like someone who is a very like um, earnest believer. And you encounter this in good faith Like I mean like not someone just being like Well like a war happened Which by the, they're not connected to So you know how could that happen Like checkmate Catholics you know if God yeah, is yeah. good right. But I'm talking about like a, Dealing with a personal Problem I think you should be able To either say I don't Know or, or, or Try and provide A good answer that's not smug I mean, because I think that, like, these kinds of basics, it, you can, like, I don't know, like, go on, like, like long threads about integralism and post like, memes or, like, whatever, but I will say as, like, an agnostic that has uh, suffered a lot that is very interested in these questions, I think that if you're, like, a strongly religious person uh, engaging with stuff like this, you should be able to provide... Answers, or if you can't provide answers, to to be honest about your uncertainty. But I mean, to to not think that this is necessarily inherently just like I don't know something to ignore ignore these reasons like people don't believe or ignore like this these reasons for doubt. I mean, I think that like it's like the most uh, like you should be able to answer the most basic kind of questions about faith and doubt that come from extreme pain like I guess sociological problems sure, like the yeah. questions related to suffering and yeah I mean I mean that for all religions too I mean but some interesting engagement with like very like kind of traditionalist or by traditional I mean like fairly orthodox not modernist um, buddhists about this too not just christians but it's something that um sometimes i'm not sure i find satisfying answers to in religion but i don't find satisfying answers to really anywhere so that's not necessarily like an an own of religious people it's just i don't know like oh these experiences like Tear apart your mind Tear apart your soul And they bring you to A place of Uncertainty about A lot of things And That's Discourse wise it's, it's hard to like You know Um Argue And win from a Position of extreme uncertainty But My But that's not what I'm trying to do Like a debate bro thing I'm trying to Just like get across like Some horrific Realities Totally, yeah
2: Since 1969, the World Health Organization has recognized ME as a neurological illness Although its precise mechanisms remain unknown The film features other stories too Jessica, a young British woman, spent four years from the age of 14 in hospital in a semi-coma because of ME. She improved slightly, but was completely bedridden such that her feet didn't touch the ground for years, during which time she grew four inches. I've never stood up at my full height, she explains matter-of-factly. In contrast, a very severe patient, Whitney, is completely unable to speak. He is so sensitive to stimulation that it is dangerous for others to even be in the same room as him. Fed by a tube in his small intestine, he passes his life in darkness and silence, unable to tolerate light or sound. Such stories of extreme physical debility are not, however, the most shocking part of the documentary. What has prompted a global justice movement is the fact that many doctors still refuse to accept that M.E. exists at all. During 1955 in London, there was a cluster outbreak of a mysterious disease among staff at the Royal Free Hospital in Hampstead. An estimated 292 people were affected. The majority were female nurses. Pathology investigations revealed inflammation of the brain and spinal cord, but the cause remains unknown. It is labeled myalgic encephalomyelitis, ME for short, to reflect the severe muscular pains of the patients and evidence of damage to the nervous system. In 1970, two psychiatrists, Colin McEvity and A.W. Beard, published a paper that was to have a profound influence on the history of ME. The authors declared the illness to be mass hysteria, citing as evidence the fact that many who fell ill were young women. Neither of them had seen a patient. Compounding this dismissal meant another blow to patients, the coining of a new name. In the U.S., the term chronic fatigue syndrome, or CFS, was introduced in 1988 which was later adopted in the UK. Not only did the new name trivialize the disease, it was also too vague to distinguish ME from other fatiguing illnesses, meaning different illnesses causing fatigue were unhelpfully lumped together. For patients, communicating the seriousness of their illness is often impossible. I had this experience of trying to describe my symptoms in words to my doctors for 18 months as I was getting worse, explains Bria. I would talk about a burning in my brain or my spine or the fact that I would lose the ability to speak or sometimes I would collapse on the floor and I couldn't lift my head. When she later requested her medical records, almost all of these serious symptoms were translated into headache pain. Psychosomatic explanations of the disease were being further developed by a small but influential group of psychiatrists in the UK. They developed a theory of ME based on the biopsychosocial model of illness a framework for illness that has also been adopted by the Department for Work and Pensions, DWP, first fully embraced by new labor. The biopsychosocial model states that illnesses are part biological, part mental, part social. This idea seems common sense, but in practice it is often the psychological elements that are emphasized. Thus, the biopsychosocial model of ME is that a patient may have originally had a virus, but after that, symptoms are not primarily the result of an ongoing disease process at all. Instead, patients simply have dysfunctional or false illness beliefs, and thus adopt the sick role. Spending too much time in bed is the reason they have physical abnormalities, as they become deconditioned due to exercise avoidance, and it is assumed that the symptoms are reversible by the patient's own efforts. However, there is growing evidence that such an approach towards ME is not only inaccurate, but dangerous. Keith Garrity, honorary research fellow at the University of Manchester and an expert in MECFS, explains Many medical professionals do not view MECFS as a serious medical condition. Psychiatrists in the UK have done great harm to MECFS patients by promoting a largely psychological model of the illness that diverted research funding away from investigating the many biological abnormalities in the disease, and this model has downplayed the severity of the illness. The two treatments that arose from this psychiatric model are cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, and graded exercise. Currently, they are the only two treatments offered by the NHS for ME. Some psychiatrists take the extreme view that patients, including children, need to be admitted to a psychiatric ward, even if against their will and that of their parents. Unrest features a young, severely ill Danish woman, Karina Hansen, who was forcibly taken from her home by five policemen and admitted to a psychiatric ward. Her family were not told where she was being taken. She wasn't allowed to be seen by any doctors other than psychiatrists. Three years after being taken, she was finally allowed home. She remains ill with ME. In the UK, child protection powers are sometimes used to enforce psychiatric treatments for children with ME, and hundreds of families have faced investigation for child abuse or neglect though there are no official figures kept by UK health authorities. One charity, Times Trust, has advised around 200 families. None of these families were subsequently found to be at fault. Robert was 12 when he first started graded exercise therapy. His mother, Lorraine, contacted the Independent to explain how the NHS physiotherapy he was asked to do drastically damaged his health. Robert was moderately ill when the physio began, but became severely ill and required a wheelchair after a few months. He was given exercises to do in a hydrotherapy pool, some involving swimming. After just a few months, he lost the ability to walk. His legs turned to jelly, he had severe pain, particularly behind his knees, and he just couldn't support his weight. The physiotherapist wouldn't accept that they were causing harm, and blamed my son for not trying hard enough, saying he didn't want to get better. They would not accept that there was anything physically wrong with him. He had a fit in the pool where they were doing exercises, which the neurologist later said was caused by extreme pain. Eventually, we had to get a charity to intervene so that we could stop the graded exercise. My son is now 21 and is still severely ill and housebound. Robert's story is one of many, although the NHS does not keep a record of harms caused by graded exercise for ME. The biopsychosocial model and the assumption that if people who become disabled from conditions like ME adopted correct attitudes and behaviors, they could recover, seems to appeal to politicians looking to cut the costs of disability payments. Benefits can often make ME patients worse, claimed psychiatrist Simon Wesley, one of the originators of the biopsychosocial model of ME, in 1993 in a meeting with a minister for the disabled. If giving disability benefits to patients, such as those with ME, may foster a culture of dependency, then cutting these benefits can be presented as a positive intervention. According to a document promoting the biopsychosocial framework circulated by Lord Freud, the former Minister for Welfare Reform, it is important for those with health problems, like ME, to recognize that the sick role is temporary in the expectation of recovery and that giving disability benefits to such patients may foster a culture of dependency. However, serious problems with the research claiming to show that biopsychosocial approaches to ME can lead to patients recovering have now been identified. In 2011, controversies about these treatments came to a head when the results from a medical trial, known as the PACE trial, were published. The trial cost £5 million and was part-funded by the Department of Work and Pensions. It tested graded exercise and cognitive therapy for ME. The researchers claimed it had been a success and that the treatments were moderately effective. However, the trial has faced severe criticism, especially outside the UK, with 100 experts signing an open letter asking for the retraction of one of the trial's key papers. Among the criticisms was the fact that the trial's definition of recovery was so weak that even if patients reported their health deteriorating on the trial's two primary outcomes, they could still be deemed recovered. Objective measurements of patients' health failed to show a clinically useful improvement, but were often downplayed. After a lengthy legal battle fought by patients, the trial scientists were required to release the raw data from the trial. Reanalysis showed no statistical difference between the different treatments offered, a null result. It also showed that previously reported recovery rates had been inflated fourfold. The trial authors maintained that the trial proves CBT and graded exercise are moderately effective. As critics are increasingly pointing out, the problems with PACE went beyond bad science. A 2006 report by the Parliamentary Group on Scientific Research into Myalgic Encephalomyelitis had already pointed out that there is a vested interest private medical insurance companies have in ensuring CFSME remains classified as a psychosocial illness. The report also mentioned cases where advisors to the DWP had also had consultancy roles in such companies. These links were investigated further by the Center for Welfare Reform, who stated in 2016 that emphasizing the importance of psychosocial factors in classing ME as a mental health problem could bring immediate financial benefits to insurance companies when policies limit payouts for mental health problems. Unum is the top disability insurer in both the US and UK, and a company which the Center for Welfare Reform claims is lobbying the government to promote private health insurance. An internal Unum report on CFS claimed the company could lose millions if we do not move quickly to address this increasing problem. It was argued that CFS claims should be managed more aggressively and in proactive rather than reactive fashion, while attempting to present ME as Neurosis with a New Banner. Four of the PACE trial scientists disclosed conflict of interest with the insurance industry. Even as the international scientific community expressed concerns about the trial, the British media continued to promote it as a great success. When questionnaire results from PACE participants two years after they had received treatment were released, which showed that those who had received CBT and graded exercise reported being no better than those who did not, this was greeted with a front-page story on the Telegraph, declaring that, exercise and positivity can overcome ME. The Countess of Marr has drawn attention to the Science Media Center's promotion of the trial, which led to such headlines, and the fact that Simon Wesley is a board member. Throughout it all, patients were depicted as dangerous militants in the media for criticizing the trial, even though they had turned out to be vindicated. The tribunal which ordered the release of the trial's data ruled that assessment of activist behavior was, in our view, grossly exaggerated. The most severely ill, about a quarter of patients are bed or housebound, continued to receive no care at all, with 80% of requests for home visits turned down by the NHS. Added to this, a dearth of social care and difficulty getting benefits meant many patients were left completely desperate and often without any support at all, with even family members often disbelieving their illness. The waste of human potential caused by ME was recently reckoned to cost the UK economy £3.3 billion a year in a report by the Optimum Health Clinic Foundation. Across the pond in the U.S., science is moving on. In 2013, the U.S. government asked the Institute of Medicine to convene an expert committee to examine the evidence base for ME. Two years later, their report, Redefining an Illness, was published. The report stated ME is an acquired, chronic, multisystemic disease, biological in nature, symptoms of which include immune, neurological, and cognitive impairment. After reviewing thousands of medical papers, the report stresses that this is a medical, not a psychiatric or psychological illness. After the report found considerable evidence that exertion of any sort can adversely affect several organ systems and many aspects of patients' lives, often seriously and for long periods, and the controversy of the PACE trial, U.S. health agencies removed their recommendations for CBT and graded exercise. Over the past few years, studies have demonstrated that ME patients have metabolic, immune, neurological, and other systemic dysfunction. Metabolites and proteins in the blood have been found to be abnormal, showing that the bodies of patients are in a hypometabolic state, causing the body to shut down and their cells become unable to produce energy. Neurological and systemic inflammation, along with a female bias, could point toward ME being an autoimmune disease. Evidence of immunodeficiency has been around since 1990, and more recently, numerous studies have shown impaired natural killer cell function, a cell which helps control viral infections. ME science, however, is still in its infancy. More studies are needed to identify a cause and develop treatments. Professor Ron Davis, one of the most eminent ME scientists in the U.S., used to work on the human genome. Now he has gathered a group of scientists, including three Nobel laureates, to work on one of the most urgent areas in medicine today. He is also the father of Whitney Defoe, the severely ill young man featured in Unrest. This is a much more serious disease than many of the other things that people are worried about. It's more common than MS, it's more common than Parkinson's disease, it's more common than AIDS. This is probably the last major disease that we know so little about, and it's because of its nature that it's been hidden. The severe patients are often just in their home being looked after by someone, and no one knows they exist. But it can get very severe. People have tried to make some measures in terms of debilitating illness. It's generally viewed as worse than many other diseases that have been ranked in terms of quality of life. ME patients have always had to fight for their rights. But now, with the advent of social media, bedbound patients are able to connect globally, and a social justice movement is flourishing under the Twitter hashtag MillionsMissing. For Jennifer Brie, ME activists can learn a lot from history. To fight stigma and to force recognition from the health system, we need a movement for access to treatment, care, and research. The HIV-AIDS movement allowed extraordinary advancements in the space of a decade. That's what we need here. It is about reclaiming our bodies and our experience, having a sense of pride in ourselves and in each other. And the movement is beginning to gather momentum. In the UK, the NHS has announced it will completely rewrite its guidelines for ME, after pressure from patients and concerned scientists. Medical research into biomedical causes is increasing, but remains seriously underfunded globally. It's 30 years wasted, which is a long time in research terms. We could have discovered the cause of ME in that time, laments health researcher Dr. Keith Garrity. Historically, people with ME have been excluded from the disability rights movements in the UK and did not have the lobbying power to affect government policy, but disability and ME activists alike are starting to come together, uniting under the slogan, nothing about us without us. ME activists are so distressed and angry because we've had our reality denied by almost everyone around us, explains Catherine Hale, an ME activist and leader of the Chronic Illness Inclusion Project. The dismissal of our testimony is profoundly distressing. You can develop a PTSD response from it. It's a kind of abuse. A treatment approach that harms people by saying it is our mindset that needs to be changed is a very oppressive experience. As patients, we've all been so isolated and are too ill to go out and protest, and that's why The Millions Missing is really in its infancy, because we've come from so far down. Adam Lowe, an author and journalist with Emmy is also demanding accountability. One of the most common misconceptions about ME patients is that we are anti-psychiatry and resent all treatments that imply even a partially psychological cause for the illness. This is another myth that needs to be challenged. I'm a strong believer in adequate mental health provision for everyone, as are most ME patients. We live with this illness in the dark, hidden in our bedrooms, desperate for answers. We can't get proper treatment because they tie up limited natural resources in endless, useless studies that conflate long-term fatigue with the very specific neuroimmune illness, ME. They continue to harm and insult us, the way the LGBT and civil rights movements were harmed, denigrated and insulted in decades past. They are institutionally ableist, in the way the Met was once labeled institutionally racist after the Stephen Lawrence inquiry. The only difference is that we die quietly in the back rooms of our house because of lack of proper care or effective treatment. No one sees, so the outrage is confined to those of us who know, those of us who already have this illness, and those who love and care for us. Eventually, I think a small cabal of people setting the negative medical and social narratives about Emmy will have to wake up and apologize for the harms they've caused to hundreds of thousands of people, just like psychiatrists recently apologized to LGBT people. History will not show them favorably, because I believe that justice will prevail in the end. Unrest has recently been shortlisted for an Oscar. The power of documentary film is that viewers are confronted by what is unseen, or ignored, It is a medium that conveys something words cannot. Maybe, finally, ME patients are beginning to be seen.